Deconstruction, a podcast from FI, Philosophy and the History of Ideas research team at Deakin University, Australia. Welcome to Deconstruction. I'm Associate Professor Patrick Stokes. Mindfulness is pretty big business these days, from the clinic to the boardroom, but it's not without its critics. Just how far has mindfulness strayed from its Buddhist origins? And where does mindfulness fit into Buddhist practice? To find out, I sat down with Deacon's Dr. Lisa Davis. All right, we're chatting today with uh, Dr. Lisa Davis, my colleague here at uh, Deacon um, and our resident expert on um, Indian thought and Buddhist thought, uh, among many other things. Um, Lisa, just before we get going, quick question. I mean, can you tell us about how you came to be working in a field of philosophy that um, probably doesn't get anywhere near the attention that it should do from from the discipline. Yes, Pat, the students often ask me this, uh, how, how, did, how did you get interested <laughs> in this stuff? Um, well, aside from the fact that it's very interesting, but I think I came to it through a love of India. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing a documentary, well, I must have been nine or ten, um, and it was on India, of course, and they had women gods. And I was raised a Catholic and they had gods in the plural. So for me this was like, wow, you know, what's this place? And it just drew from that. Um, I, the more I got, I mean, people people often think that, you know, Buddhism is my favourite and I, I'm, very atta- I'm very attached. That's a bad thing in Buddhism, but I'm very attached to um, the ideas and the con- and the sort of concepts of Buddhism, but Hinduism is also wonderful. I think the diversity of the plural, and there are so many parallels. I mean, you know it um, mm. from colleagues here, we've done stuff together. And yeah. so I guess it was just a, a love of India. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you, you just mentioned there that the, um, working on both Hindu and Buddhist yeah. thought, I mean, your book was on Zen and Advaita Vedanta, yes. um, your first book. So, I mean, that's mm. quite a, a an unusual pairing in and of itself. It is because they're often thought as diametrically opposed. Um, mm. One ontology is, of course, substantialist and the other is almost a deontology. But um, I'm very interested in how things are practised and, you know, how people live these ideas. And when you look at um, the two particular types of practice that I compared in that book, um, the phenomenology is quite similar. Mm-hmm. So what you have to overcome, undo, um, recognise, the categories are very similar and I found that quite exciting, mm. even though you've got um, almost diametrically opposed ontologies. So you've got the foundationist and, but I don't know, David Loy puts it quite well, if you blow something up into all self or shrink it down into no self, you kind of end up in the same place. <laughs> so <laughs> it's interesting. Simply put, it's it's yeah. a good. But, yeah, I am, and this is one of the reasons the sort of astounding um, success and popularity of the idea of mindfulness um, mm-hmm. is, is uh, if, if you had said this to Buddhist practitioners, Westerners that first got involved with Buddhism 35 years ago or so, if you said, what's happened with mindfulness, how popular it would be, how adaptable it is, et cetera, et cetera, they would have said stop the controlled substances. You know, they would have said <laughs> you were absolutely nuts because it was then it was like an obscure, um, it is a foundational practice of Buddhism, but to, to see it sort of spread like this is um, quite amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that's the, mm-hmm. our, our topic for today, I guess, is, is um, the rise of mindfulness mm-hmm. in Western therapeutic practice, self-help practice, uh, well-being in, industry. Well, yeah, yeah. In, I mean everything from fairly sort of you know conventional medicine and, and psychology mm. and psychiatry through to um, you know 
all those kind of yeah. more outray well, sort of things or the exploitive sort if, of stuff. If you Google mindfulness, um, mm. you get, I, I can't even pronounce, I don't even know what the figure is, but something like 129 million entries in about five seconds. Mm. And it's everything from, you know, mindful living, mindful sex, mindful therapies, mindful antidepressant, mindful mm-hmm. parenting. Yeah. Um, and it, it is perhaps in danger of becoming so widespread as to be or meaningless mm-hmm. in a sense. So I'm interested to sort of tease out um, the extent to which what we're doing in the West broadly construed mm-hmm. or the global north or which, whichever mm-hmm. inaccurate um, <laughs> yes. geographic description you want to use. To, yeah. um, I'm interested in trying to tease out the extent to which what's going on is actually um, consistent with or continuous with Buddhist practice. Um, mm. A few years ago a mate of mine took me along to see John Cleese do a stage show in Melbourne that he freely admitted he was doing purely to pay off his divorce settlement. Yes. And he, um, but he, he, he did this stage show and he was talking about writing um, the movie A Fish Called Wanda. Mm. And he said there's a character in that who's a, an assassin who's heavily into Eastern um, thought in mm. a very sort of, you know, bizarre form bears no relation to the original and he said his inspiration was that he um he saw an ad in a newspaper in la that said get the edge in business with buddhism (laughs) and it's you know to what extent is what we think of as mindfulness today um to, to what extent is it actually you know consistent with buddhist uh practice well let let's just um for there's no Buddhism is not a monolithic. Mm. Um, it is, of course, and you know, we all know this, but we forget it sometimes. I think it's an internally diverse tradition, many scriptures, many different interpretations, etc. But we can we can trace it back to the um, paradigmatic experiential insight of the historical Buddha, um, and what we call early Buddhism, what was articulated in the Pali Canon, which is the main scripture of early Buddhism. It should be noted that the Buddha wrote nothing just like Socrates and Jesus Christ. Um, but it was a deeply oral culture and, you know, people remembered things. He's, the scriptures were written by his, purportedly written by his closest disciples. So um, if you think of what the Buddhist project is, and I think we can make a generalisation here, the Buddhist project is to overcome dukkha, to overcome suffering, and we overcome suffering by seeing things as they really are. So how are things? According to Buddhist Buddhism, the insight that the Buddha had was that things are impermanent, in constant interrelationship, um, and in constant flux. Okay, and fundamentally, there's no substantiality to, to phenomena or to selves. Okay, so this is the in a real nutshell. That's the Buddhist project. It is not therapy. It is not about well-being as we understand the the term today. It's mm-hmm. not, but it, it is perhaps can be compared a little bit to the idea of flourishing because if we understand how things how how reality is and how we are how our relationship to that reality we can flourish as humans um this is i think one of the reasons why buddhist ethical thought sometimes gets compared to virtue ethics Mm -hmm. because it is about the cultivation of character rather than having normative ethical ideas so Mindfulness, um, it's one of the early Pali suttas. Um, the word is sati and it was translated uh, in the 18th or 19th century, I think, into 
um, the mindfulness by Rice Davies, I think, was the mm-hmm. first translator. So it's an excellent translation. But the word literally means um, to remember, to recollect, to recall. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the practice of mindfulness, the, the Buddha says in the sutta that this is the basis of the practice, it's the four foundations of mindfulness. So it's um, body, feelings, consciousness, and um, mental phenomena. Okay, so these are the four sort of components that one works with with mindfulness. That a lot of what we know as mindfulness now has its roots in a um, Theravada revival um, in India in the early 20th century with a man called Goenka. Um, and S.N. Goenka uh, proposed a, um, it's for the lay, because traditionally only monks meditate. Lay practitioners, it was their job uh, to gather merit by supporting the monks. Um, so this was a lay movement that anyone could participate in, and given India's, you know, societal barriers of caste and all this, it, was, it became very, very popular. And Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Cornfield um, and others began to do these retreats. You know, there they were young people in India, um, in Bodh Gaya, and then brought this back to the United States. And this is the whole Vipassana movement that from the Insight Meditation Society in, in Massachusetts. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a lot we could say too about the encounter of Buddhism and modernity. So the idea of romanticism of science. You know, Goenka said this was a science. You know, it's a science of the mind. And this is perhaps um, it's very easy for Westerners to so-called Westerners, but to interact with this kind of framework. You know, something scientific, a science of the mind. Um, a little bit of the romanticism of the mystic East thrown in. Um, right. So it's it's quite interesting to trace those. Um, where this began, and it's, it is rooted in, a, in a, an encounter with modernism. Now, in contemporary ideas of mindfulness, we have this non-judgmental awareness mm-hmm. and recognizing um, recognizing emotions, thoughts, you know, as they come, as they are, without judging them. And mm-hmm. This seems to be. I mean, do you know any other? This seems to me to be the fundamental description of the practice yeah no, every time i've heard of it mm-hmm. described that's pretty much it yeah it's pretty much just allowing things to be as they are at yeah. that moment without, without getting getting it, yeah without yeah. getting caught up in sort of meta yeah. you know positions yeah, with, on without elaborating thinking. on the story so to speak and this is mm. part of mindfulness practice but i guess the the the, the buddha's path has um three main components so um meditative Meditation, ethics, and wisdom. Okay, now the ethical part is really important. And one of the problems that I think arise in contemporary ideas of mindfulness is that there's no ethical dimension. Mm. So if you're um, just taking things as they are and letting things come and not judging your thoughts and so on, it's very difficult to draw ethics out of that, to draw an ethical prescription or to draw a cultivation mm. of even character. Um, so what, what's, what's the ethical, the relationship between mindfulness and ethical um, in, thought in, in Buddhism then? What's in a- Buddhism thought, well, you're continually, um, because Buddhism poses that things are impermanent and, con- and constant interconnection, then so are we, so are selves and phenomena. Mm-hmm. And in this interconnection we bear, you would care for yourself, for example, so we bear a responsibility to care for other people. I guess the key virtue in, in Buddhism is um, compassion, mm-hmm. um, compassion and mindfulness of compassion, if you like. Mindfulness, the Buddha identified as one of the key components of the path, um, but it's not, uh, it's not only non-judgmental awareness, it's cultivating these particular um, equanimity, um, 
compassion, um, loving kindness, karuna, and so on. The contemporary Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh um, has re re-articulated these, um, these ideas into what he calls the path of interbeing. And this also feeds very much into the mindfulness um, explosion, if you right. like. So having stripped out the ethical dimensions of it and these other dimensions of it, um, what then is, is – what are the implications of that for contemporary mindfulness? Do we just get like a, a part of what was available to Buddhists or does it totally change – the whole meaning and, and purpose and, and benefit of, of the practice? I think the Buddha, um, d- these ideas didn't originate with the Buddha. They were currency in India at the time. But mm-hmm. I think the Buddha articulated a particular way of um, harnessing this fundamental human um, capability of self-reflexivity. So we can be aware that we are aware and in that moment we can actually change our awareness. We can direct our awareness, we can deepen our awareness and so on. Um, It was not about, uh, if anything, if I said before that one of the fundamental Buddhist virtues is is compassion, um, the other fundamental is uh, non-attachment. So if Buddhism is a desubstantializing ontology at basis, then you do not want to substantialize ideas of self or ideas um, you're continually in the flow of things. I mean, Zen teachers say, you know, you shoot at a target, but you're shooting at a target right over here on the right and the target's already moved over to the left. So we've got to be in the flow of things. Um, a lot of what happens in the contemporary mindfulness explosion or in practices is that um, you're actually self-aggrandizing. Mm-hmm. So, yes, well-being is one thing, but it's also making the self bigger and more solid and mm. and this is a completely at odds with Buddhist ideas of practice. The cultivation of virtues perhaps not, but you don't see too many cultivation of virtues. Um, and I think I think it's I think it's because partially because of the way we consume things. You know, the way you can have mindfulness for 10 minutes, then you can do something else and then you um, in Buddhist practice it is uh, three components of it, knowing the mind training the mind and freeing the mind. And so there's a whole lot of training that goes into these practices rather than you just don't go and sit with a guru. And so I think there's this trivialization of aspects of it. Mm. But um, it is clearly a technique, you know, John Kabat-Sim with the mindfulness-based stress reduction, which started in the 70s. This was the beginning of the contemporary mindfulness explosion. It works very well in mm-hmm. controlled therapeutic settings with people with depression. Right. Mainly because we're not in touch with our own feelings, mm-hmm. our own minds, and it gives people the technique to be able to do this. Right. Okay. But there has been some pushback recently yeah. against um, mindfulness. What, I mean, what what do you see going on there? Well, I think it's a little bit that the bubble might have burst a bit, that, you know, it's become everything to everyone and people have said that, well, hang on, you know, it hasn't done me any good. But there's a very interesting question that um, Thich Nhat Hanh also talks, the Vietnamese Buddhist teacher, he talks about present moment. So present-centred awareness and this non-judgmental um, awareness as well is really important in the... So what happens if my present moment is unbearable? Mm. Yeah, you know, not everyone's present moment. You know, <laughs> I'm sure we can all think of unbearable. But what what do you do then? And mm-hmm. there's no in these you know in these sort of exercises. There's really no um, no antidote for that because people can have really serious you know um, not breakdowns but very serious traumas in in meditative when you're sort of just practicing meditation and that. And so what happens mm-hmm. if my present moment is unbearable? 
Well, Thich Nhat Hanh's answer is that you sit, you try and embrace the pain. You don't push it away, mm-hmm. but you try and embrace it and sit with it and therefore kind of um, acknowledge it and blunt it. But I don't know in um, doing mindfulness meditation in the office, for example, doing mindfulness meditation in between classes, um, lots of people teach mindfulness that really have I don't know what qualifications they might have to teach it, mm. um, but just slowing down is is a um, is a valuable mm-hmm. a valuable exercise. But I think when too many promises are made, um, I was trying to think the other day of I can't think of a it is a religious practice that's been taken secularized and so adapted. I really can't think of another practice that has had this applicability and adaptability, except maybe yoga. Mm, I was about to say yoga. Yeah, I mean, it, it right. seems in some ways like a similar thing where we've yeah. taken a complicated um, Indian practice and then stripped out all but yeah. two of eight elements yes. from, <laughs> the, from the Ashtanga yoga. Yeah. But, you know, the, the sheer, I mean, people people come to these things for different reasons. If you come to Buddhist practice, you've got, or if you come to um, Hindu practice, you've got some idea of the philosophy or the liberative aspects or whatever. But if I just want to get supple, yoga is a very good method. Perhaps it's the same with the mind. But because we're working on the mind, perhaps there are a few more pitfalls. Um, you know, you don't know what what triggers people. And apparently there was a, um, a student was telling me there was a, mindfulness meditation session that session that she went to just 20 minutes and she she thought wow that was great and she said to the person sitting next to her you know that was really great and the woman said I thought it was awful I was having an asthma attack and I didn't know if I should get up or not (laughs) (laughs) oh god yeah I mean that raises I mean two things I wanted to say there one was that using the analogy with yoga I mean in some ways yoga practice is critiqued by people who want to say that well We've taken a religious practice and we've stripped it out of all of its meaning and what we are left with is just stretching and breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other people of certain religious persuasions who want to say that um, you shouldn't do it if you're, say, a committed fundamentalist mm-hmm. Christian or uh, because it is nonetheless a foreign religious practice. Mm-hmm. And so even though it looks like it's just stretching um, and breathing, you are actually buying into a different religious exactly. world view. I wonder, is there a similar critique this is, available? This is a very interesting thing. There's a very good documentary called The Dharma Brothers. Um, there are two by the same name, but this one is in an American prison and these are really hardcore guys, you know, um, not on death row but almost and been in, in prison for a long time. And they, they came and did a, a couple of teachers came and did a mindfulness meditation retreat. It was like four or five days of it. And it had such an impact on these on these prisoners that they wanted to continue it afterwards and they did and they and they really were, you know, you could see the benefits that they were addressing what had happened. They were trying to reach out to their families again and these, you know, it's really quite beneficial. And the warden then decided they were a Christian prison mm. and this had to stop. And there was a big, you know, outcry about mm. it because these guys were saying, well, you know, we've got meaning and I'm beginning to and it's got nothing to do, mm. we don't consider ourselves Buddhist or anything, but he stopped it. Wow. Yeah, it's a very interesting documentary on mm. this and the, the testimony they give. So, yes, there is that kind of yeah, that this is Buddhist and not. Uh, yeah. Is it, the other question I had was, is there a risk with mindfulness insofar as it is about focusing on the present moment? Mm-hmm. Um, is there sometimes a risk involved in it? I know that, that criticisms have been made like this of mindfulness, that it is focusing too much on the present moment and not on 
the extent to which we are actually, you know, to get a bit Heideggerian for a second, mm. um, projecting into the past and the future as well and that yeah. we are actually diachronic agents. We mm. do live across time and we uh, we have to think in terms of the future and the past as well as the present. Yeah, I think definitely. And I think one of the interesting things in another contemporary expression of Buddhism called engaged Buddhism, um, I think this is sort of not so much in the diachronic sense but I think this is really important for getting people saying that practice is just not on the meditation cushion that this kind of awareness, this kind of deepening of awareness and co- connectivity and even non-judgmentalism in a way um, works um, with our relationship with the planet, with our relationship with all sorts of, you know, social ills mm-hmm. and um, particularly mainly from the Zen tradition, oddly enough, this is the tradition that you would think is only meditation, but um, Thich Nhat Hanh has coined the term engaged Buddhism uh, Bernie Glassman in New York does these bearing witnesses or did these bearing, he just passed away recently, did this bearing mm. witnesses report, uh, working with the homeless, working with um, people that have, you know, giving, creating sort of um, centres and um, jobs for people that have been chronically unemployed and all these sort of things. And then David Loy has pushed it into sort of social theory. So mm-hmm. I think that that has a definite connection with extending that sort of present moment paralleled with the idea of what Buddhists call dependent co-origination, which is what Thich Nhat Hanh calls interconnectivity or interbeing. Um, mm-hmm. Because in, in Buddhist texts you don't really get any, um, any social theory or it's all, a, all about the, um, I guess, the, the awakening of an individual and by extension because of this connectivity, the sort of, you know, mm-hmm. connection with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So just just finally, I wanted to ask. I mean, what do do, do you think that there's? This is just a, a very brief cultural moment in which mindfulness has just sort of you know taken root. Or would we expect to see, given how sophisticated the Buddhist understanding of the mind mm-hmm. was in classical Indian thought mm-hmm. um, and Hindu thought too? I mean, given that mm-hmm. the, it was a really you know, Abhidharma psychology is incredibly yeah. kind of dedicated, you know, detailed and, and precise, and, and, precise and, complex, and thoughtful. Yeah. Can we expect to see more of that start to feature in, again, in scare quotes, Western um, sort of non-religious practice, sort of self-help practice or therapeutic practice? Or, or is this just a, a very brief flash in the pan and we'll all move on to the next thing in a few years? <laughs> I did. I'd hazard a guess that it's not a flash in the pan. I think it mm-hmm. will have the same um, continuity as the idea of yoga. I think mm-hmm. with the same, um, with more and more moorings getting. Um, it is one thing that we should mention too that you know Buddhism gets really good press. <laughs> Buddhism is the the you know the it's all right to love Buddhism. You can mm. be and. Yes, of course, it's a wonderful, profound tradition, but, you know, all religious traditions, all institutionalised traditions have their positives and negatives and Buddhism is no different. Mm. So people say, oh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to see the Dalai Lama. And if I say, oh, well, that's great. And if you say, oh, I'm going to see the Pope, they say, boo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there is this, I yeah. think it'll, I, I certainly think the, um, the benefits of just this kind of self-reflexivity are, are obvious. It has has been and um, probably will continue to be exploited. I think the some of it will fall away, but I can imagine mindfulness there being mindfulness centers like their yoga centers, mm-hmm. um, because it really is, you know, it it, it has really str- obviously it has really strong therapeutic benefits. Um, the mindfulness based stress reduction course, you know, it's mm-hmm. clinically proven that it's mm-hmm. um, it's been really beneficial, but it hasn't got much to do with Buddhism, mm-hmm. and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, but it is different. Sure, and I can imagine um, certain more orthodox, traditional Buddhists 
thinking that is a bad thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. So just um, just to finish up on yes. a slightly different note, because you mentioned His Holiness, can I ask you to tell us about um, the study tour? It was <laughs> last met, year where we met. Uh, yeah, we met. We had a private audience with um, His Holiness the Dalai Lama at the. Uh, Central uh, Central Institute of Higher Tibetan Studies in Sarnath, where we take our study tour every year. And this was organised really through Professor Jay Garfield, who runs the American group. And we were there to 40 students in two groups um, in a small courtyard. Um, and uh, he came out. First he was just going to get a photo, but then he, um, one of his aides came out and said, oh, you can ask a question. And so our, basically this question was, you know, what is the most important thing we can be doing? In, given the state of the world and this sort of stuff. Anyway, he came out, he was right in the middle of the students, he was patting them on the head, he was talking to them. He told a kind of a sexist joke. Oh. And then he, he said, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> well, not uh, because the American students were a little bit taken aback, I think, but he was laughing and joking and uh, he just said the most important thing you can be doing is to basically care for one another, care for the planet and, mm-hmm. you know. But it was, it, it was quite something being that close to him. And really the students were, you know, something they'll remember forever. Mm. So I can't promise this every year on the study tour. <laughs> no. But it does have things do happen because, you know, it's an important yeah. it's an important uh, Buddhist university mm. and uh, it was founded at the behest of the Dalai Lama. So Right. Yeah. So it was, yeah, an amazing an amazing experience. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Lisa Davis, thank you very much for talking to Deconstruction. Thanks for inviting me, Patrick. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Deconstruction is produced by Phi, Philosophy and the History of Ideas Research Team at Deakin University, Australia. For more information, visit blogs.deakin.edu.au slash philosophy. <laughs>